0: when he was incarnate, chose naturally the word, naturally God. And if we think of um, the Beatitudes, there are two Beatitudes which belong to this first period of the perfection and yet the childhood of mankind in Adam and Eve. The first passage, the first Beatitude says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. What does this poor in spirit mean? It means that in their spirit, in the very depth of their being, in their total consciousness and awareness of self, they knew that They possessed nothing of their own and that all that they were, all that they possessed was a gift of the living God, of love divine. It was not theirs in the sense that they had not made it, it was theirs because it was given, given freely tenderly, lovingly. And therefore, they were in the kingdom of God. They were in that relationship with God, which is perfect harmony, because they claimed nothing for themselves. They claimed nothing of themselves. They knew that all they had was of God, and it was such a marvel and such joy and such exaltation to know that everything of this beauty and perfection is a gift which could not be taken away from them because it was given freely and unconditionally. And as a result, the other beatitude which we read later, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. When Christ spoke these words, he was speaking in the future, because it was already in the fallen world, in the process of salvation, that he spoke now. But at that first moment of creation, and before the fall, yes, the humans, Adam and Eve, had complete purity of heart. No darkness in their minds, no darkness in their hearts no hesitation in their will. They were completely open to God and their hearts were so pure that they could see him. We are told by St. Paul that one day will come when we will know God as he knows us. Not to the absolute depth of God indeed, but that all the knowledge, all the vision of God, which we will acquire gradually by an eternal, never-ending progress, movement into God, into the divine mystery, that all that will be ours. So that it is by looking towards Christ, and asking ourselves about him, who he was, that we can see, take a glimpse of what Adam was in the very beginning. Indeed, he was not in the... of the statue of Christ, but his vocation was, and that is St Paul's word speaking to us and about us all. We are called, as he was, to live the full measure of the stature of Christ. Christ was God that had assumed humanity. He was man that was called to be pervaded, filled with divinity. And in this process, man was to lead the whole creation, into this knowledge of God, not in intellectual knowledge, but the kind of knowledge which one has through love. When the mind is enlightened by the heart, that the whole being is united with and to the other being in this mysterious way which we can call communion. So that we can see but in that moment, there was beginning of the relationship with God, which was lost. And we can have a glimpse of this relationship by looking at what is revealed in Christ. To Christ, will come eventually. But for the moment, let me say something else again. every relationship implies a way in which one can address oneself to the other. But in the given case we do not know the name by which Adam or Eve could speak to God and of Him. We only know that they could speak to him. Saint Ephraim of Syria, if I'm not mistaken, says somewhere that the presence of God in us is more intimate to us than our own awareness of self, our own consciousness. Man knew himself in God and through God. But through himself and in himself he knew God. And he probably had a name for him. We know nothing about it. And yet, there's a glimpse which we can have into this naming of God. Once the fall had come, this name was no longer capable of being pronounced. Not because it would have been a sacrilege, because it was lost. In a way in which, in human relationships, we have names for one another. But if the relationship is broken, the names die, and they die in our memory and in our thoughts. Is there a way in which we can think of a name? Not in the concrete name, indeed. But is a remarkable passage in a Jewish theologian of the Middle Ages, Maimonides, in which he says that it's not his word but it's the thought I'm trying to convey to you, that the name of God was lost and yet it was, it rested somewhere deep in the consciousness of the Creator world, and there were moments when the saints of God came near perceiving His name. In the intervals, conventional names was, were used to signify God, but not to give his Appellation, Adonai, the Almighty. And then the mysterious letter, Yod which we read as Yahweh, Jehovah, but without knowing how it was really renounced when it was not invented. created or put down. And Maimonides says that there was a name that had been transmitted from saint to saint in the people of Israel which only one person was allowed to know. It was a high priest. And he says that when the services of prayer were going in the Temple of Jerusalem, the high priest bent over the balustrade of his uh, place and whispered inaudibly the sacred name. And this sacred name ran like blood through the words and sounds and cries of prayer. Give them life and carry them heavenward to the throne of God. No one knows this name. It is lost. But there is a thought in it which I think is worth remembering. This idea that it is a name that once whispered, pronounced, gives life to whatever his fall into. There is this sense that the divine blessing resting upon things can give them equality which they did not possess, do not possess by nature but which, they can, which allows them to convey to other created beings. There is a prayer for the blessing of bells in the Orthodox Church, and this prayer of the blessing of bells says, among other things, that let the sound of this bell, when it reaches a human being, reawaken or awaken. is spiritual life, divine life lost in the depths of the chaos which sin has worked in human souls as it has worked in the rest of the world. So if we want to understand Adam, man in the sense of the human being, we must look at Christ. Christ is a fulfillment of what man was incipiently. Everything was a potentiality in man and is realized in Christ. And if we want to understand it, it is towards Christ as we must look. To Christ we will come later. But I want now to move on to something else that happened in paradise. Last time we have spoken of the way in which Eve came into being. And I attracted your attention that contrary To what we read in most translations, God did not simply bring a deep sleep upon Adam and almost surgically extract out of him part of his being to make an other being equal to him. Man was Adam was confronted with a whole world of beings that were not alone. And he alone discovered that he was one and there was no equal or like him. And he longed for a companion. And at that moment, when he had grown to the point of feeling that he came be more than he is himself, that he had he a companion, he would be fulfilled, that is, all there was in him could become the totality of his vocation. God brought him into a state, and that is a Greek word used in the Bible, into ecstasy not below himself, but beyond himself, and having become more than he ever was before, he gave birth, as it were, to the existence of evil. Of that we have spoken. But there is one point which I believe is of great importance here. So far, God had created, as it were, of his own initiative, all beings. He called into existence that that was not, and therefore he could not ask his creatures whether they wanted to be or not to be. Here, Adam, who has got a consciousness, an awareness, a freedom of decision, is confronted with his loneliness, and it is he who wants a companion. And Eve is not made for him, that he once said, the of God. Eve is born, as it were, of this longing of Adam. It is the first example of the synergy, that is the cooperation between man and God, between created beings and God. And we will find it a second time, gloriously, when the Archangel Gabriel descends to meet Mary and announces her that a son will be born. But there is a passage in the writing of St. Gregory of in which he says that the incarnation would have been as impossible without the positive will of God and the acquiescence of the Mother of God. It could not be forced upon mankind Salvation could could not be forced upon the fallen world. It came as a result of a whole genealogical line of people who longed for God and a line that came to full maturity in her that became the mother of God by an act of her own free consent. Now, to go back to the garden, we read that in the garden, there were two trees, the tree of knowledge and the tree of life. Obviously it is imagery, but what does these images, can these images convey to us? I think one could say that the tree of life was the way in which man could commune with God and grow into an ever-increasing fullness of life. It was the tree of communion. You may remember this passage in the Gospel in which Christ says, I am the vine, you are the branches. You can produce no fruit except that if you are in me and I in you. This is the tree of life. The way in which man, the anthropos, the human being, is united, with God envious by his life. Here is another passage in St. Paul which one can develop a little by saying that God is like a life-giving tree, and we are like little flowers after the fall that derive a precarious existence from the earth in which we are rooted. But this existence is precarious; it leads to dying. And yet, if a God comes and cuts of the roots, this little plant and grants it on the life-giving tree. The life of the tree can run into the little plant that will become as perfectly and truly alive as the tree itself. But the image at that point is a tragic one also, because at the moment when the little twig is cut off its roots, all the precarious life that was in it begin to run with a snap. And in order to graft it on the life-giving tree, the gardener must cut deeply into this tree and place the twig and the wound, wound to wound. This is an image to which we will come later when we think of the salvation of mankind in Christ. But already here we have this tree that speaks of all that prophetically, as it were, prepares us to the fact that the fullness was there in God, but once lost, it could be acquired by the sacrificial love of God and the surrender in repentance in a cry for help and mercy on the part of men. But the other three the other tree, there was nothing in the garden of Eden that was evil. So it was not a tree of temptation by itself, but it was a tree that belonged to the created world. It was one of the elements of this created world, perhaps the more one of the more perfect ones. And something very frightening happens there. I mentioned about a month ago the, the way in which some of the angels fell and fell away from God. Dark, from crystal light, luminous, they became dark. From when Lucifer, the candle of light, they became Satan. Which there is derived from the Hebrew that means the adversary, and the adversary entered into the garden. We may ask ourselves how oh, that, how is it possible that God would allow this act to happen, knowing that man could be beguiled for the reason which I gave earlier. Because all the relationship between God and humans, between humans in between themselves must be an act of freedom. And they were confronted in terms of freedom with Two alternatives. <coughs> the adversary did not tell them to rebel against God. They would have refused. They knew him. He was near to them. He was close to them. But he lied. He told them that yes, what God really intended is that they should show their own initiative, that they should uh, acquire all the knowledge that could possibly be acquired. This world was created by God. There was nothing evil or wrong in it. They could derive their knowledge of the world and perhaps, consequently, of themselves, directly from the world. Why should they wait? for God to tell them things instead of showing initiative, intelligence and finding out. Turn to this world, Ac- acquire knowledge from it, the knowledge of it and of knowledge from it. And you will have have done what God intends you to do. Aren't you called to be the guides of this world? The more, the more deeply you know it, the more perfectly you know it, the more intimately you know it, the more you can do what God intends you to do. And then Human being gets begun because he has never met with lies. And at this point, it's terribly important for us to realize how basic, absolutely basic, lies are in the destruction of mankind and of the world. A lie is a way of presenting a a ghostly vision of reality. It is not the reality as it is, but it is a vision of it which is untrue and yet materially cannot be rejected. The creative world was there. Adam was called to know it in depth so that it could, he could lead it to its perfection, its fullness. The only thing is that Satan lied to him and said to him, do it this way and you will achieve both its destiny and yours and this is at the very root of things because all evil comes in our lives through lying to one another or through lying at large. The truth is the only thing that can save us. Christ speaks of it. I am the truth, and I am life. And St. Paul speaks of it when he says, learn the truth, and the truth will make you free. So to bend the very root, from the first moment, the lie comes into the picture and is the way in which destruction comes. We treat lies easily we should never do it. And Satan is called the liar our Exodus and the first murderer. Because in that moment he takes away the attention, the heart, the whole being of anthropos, of Adam and Eve, away from God and turn it onto the created world. A French Protestant pastor, Roland de who was one of the heroes of the resistance in Lyon, says, Ben turns his back on God and rivets its attention on the created world. But having turned his back on God he has no God anymore and he can only die because God alone is a source of life. Adam could give life eternal, indirectly, receiving it himself from God to the created world, bring it to its fulfillment, rather lead it farther and farther into the depths of the divine. But the created world could not do that for Adam and Eve. And they could only die for it. At that moment, something very tragic happens. Adam and Eve lose touch with God. And they lose touch at the same time with the created world, because it is only in God that they could relate to it not as dead objects, but as an unfolding reality of beauty. And the result of it is that on one level after the other, catastrophe comes. The relationship between Adam and Eve on one hand and God on the other is absolutely changed. The relationship between Adam and Eve is totally changed. The relationship between this human air and the created world is totally uh, adulterated. And here begins the tragedy of history. To this will come in my next talk, when I would like to go with you through these different points, what happened between Adam and Eve and God, what happened between them, what happened between them and the created world, what was the position of God then with regard to the whole situation. I will end this talk, this particular point, because there is no way in which I could enter into the next subject within the minute and forty seconds which left me. I suggest that we keep quiet for a short while. Then next time I would like to go through the points I have mentioned, and it will take me probably more than one talk to go to all this change of situation, and then we will come. If I don't lose my way, to. beginning of the covenant to Abraham. I do not intend to make a Bible study of the whole Old Testament. I want to take turning points that I believe are of importance and go ahead. And I hope that it will make you think and ask yourself yourselves questions and prepare questions for me. Because when we have finished this particular um, part, uh, we could have the whole evening dedicated only to questions. Because I feel I cannot manage books. So shall we keep quiet very well? Mm